Hi friend, if you love the information you hear in the podcast, then you will love the free mini series of videos that I've put together just for you. It's all about the biblical blueprint for health and teaches you exact principles I've taught to thousands of Christian women that result in weight loss, better sleep, increased energy, clearer skin, and sharper brains. You can go to thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries to grab this free set of short, powerful teachings that will show you how to create better health God's way. It's at thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries. Go check it out now. Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? Well, we are just on a roll here on the topic of fasting and meal timing. And I thought that this week we could take a look at meal timing in the Bible or in biblical times. This information is not super easy to glean just by reading the Bible, but I found a good source of information from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia which you can find online and which I will link in the show notes. I also found a few other good resources. And so I thought I would just put it all together here and we could talk about it. And I think you're going to find it fascinating if you're a big nerd like I am. I just want to know all the things that were happening around Jesus's life, including when he ate breakfast. I mean, just think about this for a minute. God came to us in the form of man to be around us and with us and walk with us and love us and teach us. And because he was divine, but also human, he had to eat breakfast too, just like everybody else. Or did he? (laughs) Did he eat breakfast? Let's talk about it. Okay, well, we know that Jesus cooked breakfast for the disciples. Let's read this passage from John 21. It says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, He wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
Every time I read that part about Peter jumping off the boat into the water, I always picture that scene from Forrest Gump (laughs) when he's on the boat, the Jenny, and sees Lieutenant Dan on the dock. And he's so excited. He just jumps off the boat without even thinking about anything else except getting to his friend. And the boat's like floating off in the background. And that's exactly what I think of Peter doing, you know, like just jumping off with no regard for anything else and wanting to get to shore to see Jesus as soon as he could. So we know that Jesus made fish and bread for breakfast and it was morning when he appeared and invited his disciples to come and eat. What I found in the literature, however, is that it was customary among the ancient Hebrews and their contemporaries to only eat two meals a day. And typically, that first meal was anywhere from mid-morning to noon. Now, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia does say that sometimes there was, quote-unquote, a morning morsel that some would eat as a breakfast, but it was very small and consisted of something like bread and olives with maybe a fruit or a vegetable that was in season, but that a heavy early breakfast was a matter for reproach. Like you did not do that. And they quote Ecclesiastes 10, 16, which says, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. So it would seem that if they did eat something first thing in the morning, it was very small, but that typically the first meal of the day happened a little, little later, quite often, not until about noon when the climate and the day demanded a rest from labor. So one of the passages that the encyclopedia quotes to reflect this is from the book of Ruth, Ruth 2.14, which happens to be the verse upon which I did my very first sermon on the couch a very long time ago. But that verse says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted, and she had some left over. That last sentence is my favorite part because it says she ate all she wanted until she was full and she had some left over. And so I always joke that, you know, we need to get our Ruth on (laughs) and stop when we're full and have some left over. It's a great reminder that we don't need to clear our plates when we're not hungry. But the reference here is showing that they didn't eat until after they had done their morning work. There's another reference that the encyclopedia uses from Peter 10 verses 9 and 10. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So this is when Peter had his vision, you know, of all the animals and God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. But it's that verse is kind of showing the reference of time, right? It was noon. They were making the meal. He was about to go eat. So that was why they reference that verse. Now, according to the biblical encyclopedia, there was some nuance to when people had that first meal based on their rank and occupation so that some people might've taken it earlier than noon more like nine or 10 in the morning. But it appears that the common practice was to do some work before eating the first meal of the day. And that skipping that meal is what would have accounted for fasting. 
In other words, if someone was going to fast for the day, they would skip the first meal and fast until dinner. Now, the text references makes another reference in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 24. This is when Saul was all stressed out about fighting the Philistines and told everyone not to eat until the evening. It says, now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying, cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. Okay, now it's interesting when you read on after that verse, it says, and this is this is not what they kept on with the encyclopedia, but I'm going to lead into some of the other resources I found. So after that verse, it says, the entire army entered the woods and there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with the oath. So he reached out the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, your father bound the army under a strict oath saying, cursed be anyone who eats food today. That's why the men are faint. Jonathan said, my father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey? How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? So basically, Jonathan was like, we'd be so much more alert and powerful and have more energy if we had eaten. Now, I find this interesting because as I was looking into all of this information, one of the things I learned is that it was a strategic, it was a strategy of the armies of that time, like the Greeks and the Romans, to only eat one meal a day because they felt like it gave them an advantage over the enemy to be able to fight without having to stop and eat food. If they could power through and not succumb to hunger, that gave them an advantage over the enemy who did not have that dietary discipline. So along with this, I happened upon a super interesting and very obscure book called The Hygienic System, Orthotrophy. And one section of this book is called Two Meals. And it's very relevant to what we're talking about. It says, at the period of their greatest power, the Greeks and Romans ate only one meal a day. For more than a thousand years, the one meal system was the rule in two countries that could raise armies of men, every one of whom would have made his fortune as a modern day athlete. Men who marched for days under a load of iron, besides clothes and provisions, that would stagger a modern porter. The Romans of the Republican age broke their fast with a biscuit and a fig or two and took their principal meal in the cool of the evening. And it goes on to say that one of the many downfalls of Rome when it came to their physical, mental, and moral decline was their sensuous indulgence in food, which came with power and riches. I want to read you more of this section from this book because it's very fascinating. It talks about the evolution of going from two meals a day to three, which apparently did not occur until the reign of Queen Elizabeth. So this passage is kind of long. I will interject with a little commentary here and there, but just settle in here and listen because it's pretty interesting stuff. It says, 
The Jews from Moses until Jesus ate but one meal a day. They sometimes added a lunch of fruit. We recall reading once in the Hebrew scriptures these words, Woe unto the nation who princes feast in the morning. If this has any reference to dietetic practices, it would indicate that the Jews were not addicted to what Dr. Dewey called the quote-unquote vulgar habit of eating breakfast. In the Oriental world, extreme moderation as compared to the American standard is practice. Dr. Felix Oswald said that during the zenith period of Grecian and Rome civilization, monogamy was not as firmly established as the rule that a health-loving man should content himself with one meal a day and never eat till he had leisure to digest, i.e. not until the day's work was wholly done. For more than a thousand years, the one meal plan was the established rule among the civilized nations inhabiting the coastlands of the Mediterranean. The evening repast, call it supper or dinner, was a kind of domestic festival, the reward of the day's toil, an enjoyment which rich and poor refrained from marring by premature gratifications of their appetites. A 16th century proverb says, to rise at six, dine at 10, sup at six, and go to bed at 10 makes a man live 10 times 10. Okay, I'm going to say that again. To rise at six, dine at 10, sup at six, and go to bed at 10 makes a man lives 10 times 10. Okay, back to the text. Catherine Anthony informs us that the average English family adopted the habit of eating three meals a day during the reign of Queen Elizabeth. Andrew Board, a physician who lived during the reign of Henry VIII, wrote that, Two meals a day is sufficient for a rest man. A laborer may eat three times a day. But he that, quote, doth eat ofter liveth a beastly life, quote, unquote. Salzman's English Life in the Middle Ages tells us that breakfast as a regular meal is little heard of, though probably most men started the day with a draught of ale and some bread. Barely two centuries ago, says Major Austin, the first meal of the day in England was taken about noon. Breakfast was an unrecognized meal, and it originated in the practice of ladies taking an early dish of chocolate before rising. The ancient Greeks, the finest of people physically and mentally that ever lived, ate but two meals a day. The same was true of the ancient Hebrews, and it is the custom of some of the best fighting races in India today. The Countess of Lansfield, writing in 1858, describes the eating habits of the English upper class of that time of those times in these words. After this meal comes the long fast from nine in the morning till five or six in the afternoon when dinner is served. This would indicate that the two meals a day plan had survived in England up till that time. The adoption of three meals a day in England came along with the increasing prosperity of that country. Indeed, it may be stated as a general rule that the quantity of food eaten in any country in all ages has depended more upon their economic environment than upon their nutritional needs. Wealth and plenty have brought increased food consumption. A former patient of mine who spent two years among a tribe of Indians in South America informed me that these people ate their first meal of the day after the hunters returned from the hunt. They would leave for the hunt about nine o'clock in the morning and return when they had secured enough game for the tribe. 
If the hunt failed, as it sometimes did, they had no meal in the morning. Major Austin says, experience has shown that in the past, two meals a day met the demands of appetite in all fully grown individuals, men and women, including expectant mothers. Okay, and that's the end of that passage. Isn't that fascinating? You can see there was several, the author quoted several different people, times in history, you know, doctors, all kinds of things to kind of compile that passage, but pretty interesting history there. But it was the second meal of the day or the main meal, if one was only eating one meal a day, that meal was taken about sunset. So the main meal of the day was taken about sunset or a little before or a little after, but definitely before pitch dark. And that coincides with what we talked about last week, right? Trying to wrap up that evening meal with the sun. In biblical times, this was when the day's work was over and that the laborers had come in from the field, as scripture refers to it. This was the important meal of the day when the whole family was together for the evening. And apparently the feeding of the multitudes by Jesus that we read about in the gospel, the eating of the Passover and the partaking of the Lord's Supper all happened at this sunset meal timing. And that evening meal was usually some sort of stew served with bread. So there you have it. It was typically two meals a day, perhaps a small, perhaps a small extra meal, that morning morsel meal in the, in the morning, but typically a mid morning to sometime in noon, some, sometime in there between mid morning and noon. So typically a meal there and then dinner, which was usually the biggest meal of the day. And that generally vibes with what we talked about last week. You know, that there was some variation and nuance with that first meal of the day, and a hard stop with that evening meal um, around sunset before digestive capability took a nosedive. It sounds like they knew not to eat when you could not relax, digest, and enjoy the food. I think it's interesting that the physician of Henry VIII's time said that two meals a day was sufficient for a quote-unquote rest man, meaning a man who wasn't very active, but that a laborer might need three because obviously they were more active during the day and that anything beyond that was just beastly. (laughs) And so it sounds like that third conditional meal, um, like I said a minute ago, would have been that earlier breakfast. So the mid-morning meal was the first meal of the day. Then uh, the evening meal around sunset was the second meal of the day. And if there was that third one, might have been a little earlier and might have consisted of beer and some bread according to that passage. I want to circle back to a few other things um, kind of that brought out from that passage and what we've talked about thus far. One being that the customary 24-hour fast was too fast from sunset to sunset. And that is true across several religions, but was certainly traditional for the early Jews and Christians. The other thing I want to explore a little bit is the fast between the first and the last meal of the day. In that passage, we read this. The Countess of Lansfield described the eating habits of the English upper class of that time in these words. After this meal comes the long fast from nine in the morning till five or six in the afternoon when dinner is served. So in that two meal system, 
this leaves a pretty good chunk of fasting time during the day. And there's actually some good research behind the benefits of doing this. I follow this lady who actually changed her fasting schedule from the traditional 16-hour intermittent fast where you skip breakfast and eat at noon to breaking her fast with a morning meal and fasting all day until dinner. And she's seen some really great results with that. There is one study that showed that intermittent fasting from dawn to sense, dawn to sunset for four consecutive weeks induced anti-cancer response and improves metabolic syndrome. And then I happened upon the consensus that several studies show that dawn to sunset fasting shows anti-inflammatory effects. It reduces oxidative stress, increases autophagy, remodels the gut microbiome, improves the components of metabolic syndrome, which include obesity, blood glucose levels, blood pressure, and lipids. Now, those studies are based on mealtimes at dawn and dusk, those two circadian transition points of the day that we've talked about here. But I think even if you didn't eat quite that early at dawn, but ate at mid-morning and then fasted until dinner, you could experience a lot of this benefit. In essence, if you think about it, you end up with two long fasting periods in a 24-hour day time, which could ultimately add up to more fasting time than if you did just, you know, a common 16-hour intermittent fast. So say you ate breakfast at 9 and fasted until dinner at 7, you know, that's about a 10-hour fast, depending on when you finish eating. And then if you fasted from 7 p.m. till 9 a.m. on the other side of that, that's another 10-hour fast. And even though those are not consecutive hours, you end up fasting for like, you know, close to 18 or 20 hours. And you would end up fasting longer overall and can reap a ton of good benefits from that. I think this is an interesting option to consider. Last week's podcast was all about reconsidering your fasting and meal timing. And so we'll just throw this option on the table too. It could work very well for some people. I know for me, lunch is my kind of least exciting meal of the day. The one I care about the least, if you will. Sometimes I'm hungry for it. Sometimes I'm not. And whether I eat it or not kind of determines, you know, how soon I'm ready for dinner and how much I eat at dinner. If I eat a normal lunch, I'm definitely not ready for dinner until later. And so when I don't eat lunch, I'm, you know, ready to eat earlier, which, you know, like we've said, can be beneficial. Uh, There are days I've kind of done this where I've broken my fast, you know, at nine-ish and then skipped lunch and eaten dinner at five, sometimes even four. Like if one of my kids has a game or something in the evening, sometimes I eat my dinner before we go instead of waiting until we get home. And I really like that. And it's kind of modeling what they're talking about here. It makes me think of how we've talked about the way we distribute protein across the day. We've talked about that in past episodes here. And it's something that we do in 10 times stronger in the Christian Health Club. But it's important to prioritize protein at those two meal times, at the first meal of the day and the last meal of the day. The first meal of the day is the most important. And that comes from the research of Dr. Don Lehman, who has been researching protein for 30 to 40 years. But the protein at that first meal helps resupply the amino acids that, you know, to the body after 
fasting all night long and using a bunch of amino acids to, you know, help repair and rebuild the body. And so that's like last week when we were talking about having a, that goal of breaking your fast by 10 a.m. when muscle protein synthesis is strong and your body's ready to restock those amino acids and put them to good use. And then at that evening meal, getting enough protein to supply the amino acids going into the overnight fast, which is when our body needs them for that repair and rebuilding. So again, kind of thinking about these bookends of our day, the morning time and the evening time to get sunshine and eat food. Those two things give our body, you know, the great signals that really help keep it working like a well-oiled machine. Now thinking about only eating two meals a day, you do need to make sure that you can get enough food if you're only going to eat two meals. And if you can't, then you might need three, or maybe you need two meals and a snack. It's kind of hard to eat enough protein when you're only eating two meals a day because protein's so filling. I do know people who target 40 to 50 grams of protein at two meals a day, and that can be kind of hard to do. They often do use bone broth or protein powders to kind of help them do that. But if you are looking to do a, you know, a higher protein diet, which I think can, is very beneficial, I think it's harder to do in two meals, but you know, you just kind of have to weigh the weigh the pros and the cons here for what's best for you. Now, you know, biblical people were obviously not worried about muscle protein synthesis or calorie targets or whether they were dirty fasting. They did not pick apart meal timing and fasting like we've done in these last few episodes. Sometimes the more we know, the more we overanalyze and the more it could put us in analysis paralysis, which is definitely not my intent here. As I said last week, my goal is to give you information and encouragement to discern what is best for you in the season and stage of life that you are in. But I know it can feel like this information is all over the place. I have to tell you what we talked about today with the early meal being light and the dinner being the biggest meal is completely opposite of some research I read about last week, which says that it's best to eat a king prince pauper diet, which means eat like a king at breakfast, a prince at lunch, and a pauper at dinner. It doesn't appear that's what they did in biblical times, as was quoted by that verse in Ecclesiastes, which said, woe to you, O land, when your princes feast in the morning. Of course, they you know, in biblical times, they were much more physically active throughout the day. And so, you know, their schedules and activity, this was what worked best for them and the way that they ate. As a society, we are certainly not as active as they were back then, even those of us who work out. It is one thing to move your body all day long like they did. And another thing to sit all day and then to spring into action for an hour, if that you know, of movement, which we call exercise. So perhaps for this time that we live in, the King Prince Popper diet is a good choice, especially for those who don't have a choice, but to eat late in the day, it would certainly be better for that person to designate more of their calories at the first meal rather than the dinner meal. If that meal has to be eaten late at night when it's not circadian appropriate, Um, you know, a lot of people will reference countries like Spain, which traditionally eat late, but if you look, they do take their biggest meal during the day and then they have a lighter meal at night. 
you know, once again, I think all of this necessitates some discernment about what works best for the needs of, you know, our body and the state and season and even schedule of our life. And I think we have to keep in mind that we face different challenges than biblical people did with all of the processed food, toxins, artificial lighting, all kinds of things that quote unquote progress, you know, has created. No wonder the recommendations are always changing. We are a moving target experiment, you know, with ever-changing variables. But guess who is unchanging? Our mighty God who said, I am the Lord. I do not change. You can find that verse in Malachi 3.6. And this is why we can always look to him, look to his word, and actively seek his guidance. I know this stuff can be confusing and exasperating, but I do hope that presenting so many angles shows you that there is no one right way, but there are some common baselines for us to work within, and then we tweak as needed, right? So always be looking to the Lord for guidance, asking what is right for you, considering again, what your body needs at this time, looking at your day, what does your day look like? What is your movement like? What is your family schedule like? Those are all things we have to take into consideration. But I hope that you found this as fascinating as I did and, you know, gives you more to consider when you're deciding your meal times and fasting times. You're like, as if I needed more to consider. (laughs) But there you have it. I do so love getting to share this information with you. And as always, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.